I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Content warning. This podcast discusses violence, murder, suicide, civil unrest, aggressive policing, racism, and lynching. If you or anyone you know is considering suicide or self-harm or just need to talk about problems, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or text the Crisis Text Line at 741-741. Previously, on After the Uprising. She seems to be under the impression that you might know the passcode to Danye's phone. I have a clue what his passcode might be, yeah. When I was running down to him, I said, you know, we were trying to find out, you know, what, what do we have to do to get the sheet back? And he was like, sheet, what, what are you talking about? But what was your sense or memory of, like, what they seem to be there for? On some bullshit, she wanted that sheet. I don't know about specifically the part in the tree. Um, in terms of the knot, you would have to ask whoever untied it off the tree branch. And I know my investigator didn't do it. When there is a lethal mechanism that someone uses, that is you know, rather overwhelming. For someone to say, well, that sheet didn't come from my house, that's not going to dissuade me from the fact that that was a suicide. I believe that our report will be concluded in the near future. Why is that still open? It's been seven and a half months. Our detectives are very busy. Now? What you're looking at is the aftermath of the grand jury deciding not to indict Officer Wilson. A young man found hanging from a tree in October. His mom believes someone murdered her son, targeting him. Danye became an activist in the wake of the shooting death of Michael Brown by a white police officer. That's why Melissa McKinnis wants St. Louis County Police to dig deeper into her son's death. He was not suicidal. This is After the Uprising, the death of Donye Dion Jones. Does it have a four-digit or a six-digit? She gave a different one. Six. So she said try 365 87 
then the last number, either five or four. So try them both. It was August of 2019. The Mike Brown Jr. Memorial had just wrapped up down the street, and we sat down with Melissa outside of a coffee shop in Ferguson. In episode six, Deja gave us several passcodes to try on Danye's two cell phones, his older iPhone and his newer Android. It's a try again. So this time try four as the last digit. Three, six, five, eight, seven, four. I'm going to try this one too. Okay, what did you say it was again? So three, six, five. Three, six, five. Eight, seven. Eight, seven. And did you do five or four last time? Five. So five. try four this time. Well, I, this it's is another one. Oh, it's a different phone open. Yeah. So to try both. It was tense. Trying a code, it not working, the phone making us wait a minute or so before we could try again. And in the end, none of the codes Deja had given us worked. Melissa had never been hopeful. I'm sorry that didn't work out. Yeah, if we, if we were to find someone who, for money, could try to crack one of those. Do you know which one he used more often? That's the one I found out there. Okay. Would you be willing to let someone try? Mm-hmm. Melissa said it was the android she found with Danye when he died. And we would now be tasked with finding a hacker who could crack it. Before leaving the cafe, we asked Melissa about the Mike Brown memorial she had just taken part in and what it was like to see so many of her activist friends again. Was this the first time you'd seen uh, a lot of the activists you'd worked with for a while? Yeah. What did they say to you? Mainly just hug me and kept saying that, you know, they're proud of me, they're here, they love me. They wanted me to speak. You didn't want to? No. I just didn't really feel comfortable after a while being out. I'm angry and I was kind of scared of how I was going to react towards certain people. Mm -hmm. you know. But everybody was pretty supportive for the most part? Oh yeah. To my face. I feel supported, I just, it's hard for me to move forward. It's hard to even raise my fist. It's hard to even, I don't feel like I'm really part of that activist community the way that I was before, you know, because my son was killed. So my fight is different. So I'm not there yet to like fight like they're fighting. And I don't think I'll ever fight like them. I think that my fight is different now. It took some time and some research, but we were able to find a company in Texas that can hack into certain models of Android phones. This is a deceased person's phone? Correct. <laughs> I wish I had a clear answer for you. A lot of these phones that have a Qualcomm chipset usually give me an option to bypass the passcode in our software, but I never have luck with them. It might just be one of those things, gotta try. Once again, though, I'm not too too uh, hopeful on it. You know, every kind of phone is different as far as what it produces. You'll get the text messages and, the, and hopefully web history and all that stuff. Location data can be a little weird with phones. Location data was high on our list of things we wanted from the phone, but remember, the phone had no cell service at the time Danye died. He only used it where he could log into Wi-Fi. So Google Maps location data would only show up when his phone was logged into a Wi-Fi network. But still, this would be something. And more importantly, we hoped to be able to find some text message from whoever it was Danye left to see the night he died. So Melissa gave us the Android phone, and we shipped it off to Texas. I called my getting the sheet, and she said, no, she said, we're going to destroy the sheets. And I said, why are you going to destroy the sheets? That's part of the evidence. We're going to have a private investigation. She said, well, uh, that's our policy. We have to destroy anything with bodily body fl fluids on it because of a health risk. I said, well, 
my son's uh, clothes had black, blood splatter on it and it had mucus on it. And you gave that to us with no problem. Mm-hmm. I said, so we're going to need that sheet back. She said, well, I don't control it. I said, oh, okay, I got you. So I went, had everybody call. It was like a, it was an action, a social media action mm-hmm. I did. I had everybody mm-hmm. call my supporters. And then I had the attorney call. The attorney put a fear in them. There will be a private investigation done. And that sheet is very important to this investigation. You guys already ruined the clothes. What's the status right now of the lawyer and the sheet? Is it... To be honest... Have you heard anything? I don't think that that we'll get that sheet back. I don't think so. This comment from Melissa, and supported by her family, that she would never get back the bedsheet that Danye was hanged with, was from one of our first meetings with her, back in the spring of 2019. As the sheet was considered evidence in an active case, she could not retrieve it until the case was officially closed. In August of 2019, when we tried unsuccessfully to open Danye's phone with the passcodes Deja had given us, Detective Anderer had by then finally released his case report. We were able to request a copy, and when it arrived, there were several details that jumped out at us. For one, just in general, we were shocked by how little investigating Anderer had actually done. According to his report, after leaving Melissa's house the morning of Danye's death, Detective Anderer did the following things. One, he conducted a search of the computer-aided report entry program and the crisis intervention report program to look for prior reports documenting any psychological episodes with Danye, and he found that there were none. Two, He searched the computer-aided dispatch for calls about suspicious persons by Melissa, of which there was one, on August 14th of that year, when Melissa apparently called in to report a man looking into people's vehicles. Three, he scanned Danye's Facebook page. This was a newer page and only had posts from March through September, which didn't reveal much except that Danye was starting to buy houses for his business, which he called moving on up properties. This is all he did the day Danye died, the 17th of October. Then, on October 31st, 14 days later, at Anderer's request, a different detective went to the medical examiner's office and grabbed the bedsheet and delivered it to the crime lab for DNA analysis. So, some quick things to point out. One, he never spoke to anyone else who knew Danye, not even his brother Javon. Back in episode one, County PD spokesman Sergeant Sean McGuire told us that the final report would reveal what detectives looked into and who they talked to. Well, they looked into their internal databases for other hits on Danye and found none, then talked to no one. And speaking of talking to no one, page four of the report contains a little box at the bottom that reads, Neighborhood Canvassed, and that box is marked with an X. Canvassing a neighborhood means that officers speak with neighbors and ask them basic questions, like, did you see or hear anything unusual last night? Since there is nothing written anywhere else in the report about which neighbors at which addresses were spoken to, we figured we would just knock on Melissa's neighbors' doors and ask for ourselves if police had interviewed them the morning Danye died. Hi. Um, my name is Ray. I just wanted to know if I could either ask you a question for like five minutes or uh, maybe set up a time when I could call you. This is the first neighbor we spoke with. She wouldn't open the door, so it's very hard to hear her. We cranked the audio to try and catch her voice, so we apologize for the sound quality here. Did the police ever ask you any questions? No. They never knocked on the door and talked to anyone in the house? No. Not me. Yeah. She lives alone, and like she said, police never spoke to her. She finally opened the door a bit and spoke about the night of Danye's death. I was up in there and I didn't see that. Right. I, I can't, can't do nothing say I missed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't see nothing. I didn't hear nothing. See, I wouldn't have been no, no help to the police either. So. They still could have knocked and asked. Then we went to another neighbor's house. Hey. How are you? <laughs> I just didn't know if I could get like five minutes of your time to just kind of ask like what you saw the yeah, morning I can of the investigation. You, I, mean, I can answer your questions. Yeah, sure. Like I said, uh. Danny over here? Yeah. Yeah, he killed himself. Do we just want to like run down all painful, the possibilities? You, you, usually they, they, it's painful to yeah. accept that somebody killed himself. Yes, sir. There was no sign of a struggle. You know, the family. family. I got food yeah. on the grill. Sure. I mean, I wanted to know like, do you, did the cops ever come knock on your door? 
Cops never asked you any questions. They did their own uh, investigation, and and what they determined was what it is. They didn't. They never worked with that idea that that, that it was a uh, some retribution for her in protesting. This neighbor clearly has his opinion, but he did confirm that the police never interviewed him. We knocked on two more doors, and one of the people who answered said they didn't live there at the time of the incident. At the last house we went to, a teenager answered the door, so we don't want to use their voice. They told us that to their knowledge, police never came by and asked anyone in the house any questions. It looks like the neighborhood was not canvassed, despite the police report claiming the contrary. And what needs to be noted here is that the final case report has sections drafted by different people. Detective Anderer has the longest portion at the end. But the first officer to arrive on scene the morning Danye died, Officer Chad Lamprecht, drafted a portion. Then Detective Michael Kamerer from the crime scene unit also drafted a portion. It's unclear, but based on where it falls in the report, it appears that it may have been Lamprecht who checked the box stating that the neighborhood had been canvassed. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Yeah, and then they said that they canvassed my neighborhood. They spoke with my neighbors. And when John and Ray asked my neighbors if they had been spoken to or they had been interviewed, they all said no. Well, the way that works, for instance, is we do canvasses all the time. So in the police report, it'll list the name, the time, the date. Uh, the address, the phone, whatever, however the contact was made, all of those contacts would be listed in the police report. Did they list them in the police report as having uh, talked to them? Since we are looking into the investigative efforts of county detectives, we felt the need to talk to someone who would know just how these sorts of investigations should happen. So we spoke with Captain Carol Jackson, a retired commander from the University City Police Department. University City is one of the municipalities in St. Louis County. Captain Jackson was a police officer for 37 years. Melissa was on the call with us when we spoke to her. No name, none of that. No, that's not the way it works. No. <laughs> you have to put in the police report, when you can't what it means, you don't just say, I came into the neighborhood. You say, I, I went to 1286, uh, no answer. You have the name, 
you have uh, no answer, or I spoke with them, There's, uh, they didn't hear anything, they didn't see anything, how, how can you do an investigation and say you canvass and you don't have any information to, to, to who talked to who? Interestingly, in Detective Kamerer's section of the report, he notes that a request was made by the crime lab to also get a hold of Danye's pants, the ones that were found rolled down around his ankles when he died. Kamerer notes, however, that by then, the pants had already been sent on to the funeral home. And of course, by then, Danya had been buried and the pants returned to his mother. And any hope of pulling DNA from them was lost. In episode three, the pathologist, Dr. Gershom Norfleet, told us that the crime lab swabbed the portion of the sheet tied to the tree. And we countered that that wasn't possible because the sheet had been untied by his own investigator, Michael Tarticcio. And then the whole sheet was placed beside Danye's body in the body bag as it traveled to the morgue. We wanted a second opinion on how the ligature should have been handled. When you are collecting the ligature, how is it collected? So the ligature, what you want to do is uh, you want to cut away from the knots and you pretty much want to preserve the knots. This is Christian Torres again. You heard him in episode four talking about how he uses Carly Burdan's adjusted Glaster equation in his own work as a medico-legal investigator. You have your point of suspension where the ligature is tied to, and if there's a knot, you cut away from it, and once you cut, you take a string and tape it from one side and uh, tape it on the other side to show where you have made the cut. So you are able to pretty much reconstruct the hanging, and the autopsy room. We had been shocked to learn that the ligature in Danye's case was not bagged or separated from his body in any way, and asked Christian how he transports a ligature to the morgue. We would take a bag big enough to fit the ligature comfortably, right? We cut the ligature, as I mentioned before, we cut it, and then we place it in this bag, and we usually place it in between the legs of the decedent or like on top of the decedent. So in this case, it was with the body, but not specifically in a way that separated contact. Um, Okay. Does that to you sound like something that could corrupt potential like DNA evidence? Yes. I mean, it's, it's not the proper way. It is not the proper way. The police report states that the portion of the sheet that was swabbed for DNA was the knot area. We wanted to know more specifically what the phrase knot area meant. Did it mean the actual knot or the loop that would have passed under Danye's jaw? We asked the crime lab about this in episode three, but the technician we spoke to said she couldn't answer our questions without permission from her supervisor. And then we never heard from her again despite repeated efforts. This detail about where the sheet was swabbed was important. Because of how Danye's uncle Daniel explained how he and Danye's stepfather Derek lowered Danye's body to the ground. I grabbed his legs and lifted them up. Derek took the, um, the, the part that was around his neck, just got it off his chin. Okay. So then I down once. I, I, I lowered him down onto the ground. Okay. If the DNA swab was taken on the part of the sheet under Danye's chin that Derek touched, the DNA found could be his. But if they swabbed the remaining knot where Danye's head was, there's a good chance that the mystery DNA isn't Derek's. Looking at the specifics of what was written in the report about the results of DNA testing, it has this to say. A mixture of two or more individuals was detected, including at least two male contributors. Freeze. Two or more? When we spoke with Dr. Norfleet, he told us there was a second DNA profile. According to the crime lab, it's at least two individuals. The report then goes on to state that Danye was the major contributor of DNA found. And then there is this phrase, due to limited genetic information available and the possibility of missing allelic data, the minor component is unsuitable for comparison purposes. We called the crime lab to get an explanation of what this phrase means. Hi, I'm calling. I'm a reporter working on a story, and I just I have a report from the crime lab, 
and there's a sentence in it, and I was just hoping for clarification on what exactly it means. Um, sure, what's the statement? It says, due to the limited genetic information available and the possibility of missing allelic data, in parentheses, dropout, the minor component is unsuitable for comparison purposes. Okay. Um, sure, so that's just a uh, generic statement that we use when there's not enough um, data from that portion of the mixture to be able to uh, do an interpretation or a comparison. Um, so it's basically just inconclusive wording. Okay, so so when they do the swabs and, it, and they run it and it turns up that this is the case, does it just mean it's stalled out? Do they... Do they swab again? What happens? Um, right. So generally, um, that would be the end of the line for that particular sample um, as far as being able to do any interpretations on it. But um, again, it just depends on the case and the evidence type. If, you know, something else can happen with it, um, it would just be a case-specific situation. Because this came off a piece of fabric. So if the, uh, it would be up to the, the detective then or whoever was in charge to say, uh, can you try swabbing it again if they wanted it? Um, it just depends. It could be, um, you know, it could be that. It could be the prosecuting attorney wants to, you know, to be retested. It could be, you know, defense attorney. Um, it would just depend, um, you know, yeah. But again, whoever gets the report would basically kind of decide if they want something else done with it. Okay, thank you so much. Sure. So, according to the Crime Lab, when a DNA sample isn't useful for comparison purposes, new sampling can be requested. After all, the sheet is still in possession of the St. Louis County Police. The fact that this was never done is kind of shocking. Again, consider the timing. Melissa has made a big splash on social media, saying, my son was murdered. And she scheduled a public press conference. So the day before it, Detective Anderer seemingly says, fine, I'll swab the sheet and the pants for DNA. Wait, the pants have already been returned? Fine, just the sheet then. He seemingly does this to see if there is any merit to Melissa's claim. And 12 days after that, he gets the results, which say two or more individuals have DNA on the sheet. How does he respond to that? Based on his report, he doesn't. He doesn't do anything with it. The report says the knot area of the sheet was swabbed, meaning this mystery DNA could, in theory, be on the rest of the sheet, and there could possibly be usable samples available if they swabbed the whole thing. But what happens? The sheet stays locked up in the property department, and Melissa is unable to get it because it cannot be released to her until Detective Anderer closes the case, which he doesn't do for eight more months, until July of 2019. When they came in the house to talk to us, their words were, it's going to be what it looks like. It's going to be a suicide. So... That day that they came to my house, they told us suicide. Yeah, it could look like that, but that's not good enough. That's not a conclusion, especially because this kind of thing has happened in other parts of the country in almost the same manner, like in California. They were suspect, but at least they investigated it to the, right. you know, and they, they deemed it wasn't suicide, and that should be the conclusion. They didn't ask us questions. They... The question that they asked, why would he commit suicide? You know, they was there did a not... Did, yeah, was there a journal? Did he have any, any writing? Or, no. Did they look My at son, text messages? They did not check it, his phone at all. No, that's... See, that's I'm not being... I'm, I'm you know... <laughs> I'm just telling you how I would do it, and to me, that is, that's very substandard. We're not the experts in that. We're the expert investigators, but there's many... When things like that happen, you have to have conclusive evidence. Quick note. Both Officer Lamprecht and Detective Kamerer reported that they looked at Danye's cell phone, but couldn't get past the passcode, so they just moved on. Another little oddity is the color of the sheet Danye was hanged with. Maybe it's not a big deal, but across reports, it is at different times called white, gray, and light green. When we first met Melissa... One of her key points was that the sheet didn't come from her house. Since my family just came to stay, I had to buy extra sheets. But I know what sheets, we always have colored sheets. Never white sheets. Never. She's under the impression it's white, probably because of the photo Daniel took of Danye hanging. But that photo was taken with the flash prior to the sun fully coming up, so 
Melissa may not have had an accurate grasp of what color the sheet actually was. When we look at photographs of it, the color of the sheet seems to alter with the lighting. In some shots, where it's still tied into the tree, it looks gray, but it's shaded by the canopy. Under the bright lights of the morgue, it looks closer to white. The sheet itself is a fitted bed sheet, and with close examination of the photographs, you can see that some of the elastic is frayed and detached. It was sort of a macabre question, but we wondered why Danye would use a bed sheet, especially a fitted bed sheet, if in fact he did die by suicide. It seemed like it would be difficult to manipulate and tie the way you would want. I mean, even folding a fitted sheet is a headache. So we asked Melissa if there was rope available in the house. Was there something more convenient in the house? Like, was there... Pills. Or an extension cord. There's exactly there's extension cords. All in the basement. Actually, there is there are ropes. There were ropes in the garage because we used them to tie things up with. It's when we move things, you know. There were so many things. There were pills in the house. It's like (laughs) you wanted a piece of rope. It would have been right there. Yeah, it's right in the garage. It's right right in the garage, and we had some. They're all around. Yeah, we have those too. Could he have quickly gotten a gun? He could have got a hold of of a gun. From somebody. He He could have. Then there is the configuration of how the sheet was tied into the tree. Both the medical investigator, Michael Tarticcio, and Detective Anderer describe in the reports the sheet is tied in a figure eight. If you remember, too, during her press conference about Danye's death, Melissa referred to the ligature system as a Navy knot. And her husband, Derek, a former Navy man himself, said he recognized the configuration from his training. I know what I'm talking about. When I seen that, I knew exactly what type of knot it was. You know what I'm saying? I knew, you know. How did you know that? Or I mean, well, I'm a military man. Oh, okay. You know, you're on, like, you're on, the, on certain ships or certain places, they'll use that particular knot. It's called rabbit it in the hole, rabbit out the hole. That's what they, that's what they call it. And What do they use it for? And, like, and, and, and it, do, it, do, it don't extend... It just get tighter with weight. And so when I looked up and seen it, I was like, that's not a regular, not even a makeshift. So I knew it was a complicated knot. So in a way, he could even learn it on the first one because it took me hell of time to even try to learn this thing. We have three photographs of the ligature configuration that were taken on the scene. One picture has a tape measure extended in it showing its height and size. And the other two pictures are a front and a rear shot of the sheet tied and hanging in the tree. Here's what I will personally say. I'm an experienced tree climber using harnesses, lines, and other rigging. I know many knots and knot systems. When I look at the photographs of the ligature, my perception is that it's complex and non-intuitive. I see why it's written up as a figure eight system, as from a particular angle, it does have that appearance. Nothing from my arborist experience clues me in as to what it is, but searching through other knot systems I would say it looks very close to a mooring knot, which is used to fasten a ship or a boat to a dock. It isn't exactly the same, as a typical mooring knot usually is fastened on a bite, meaning that you can pull one end and it will loosen the system. The configuration used in Danye's death doesn't have that. Looking at the photographs, it's hard to trace the exact movements of the ends of the sheet through the system. So I called my friend Al and asked if he would take a look at it for me. Al is an experienced climber, arborist, and sailor, and he knows more about rope than anyone else I know. When I looked at it, I was just trying to be like, how would you possibly, how would you not just fall out of it? You know what I mean? Yeah, I just don't see how, like, if you put your head in there, because there wasn't, it wasn't cinching or anything. I didn't see any knot that would do any cinching around your neck. It was just a loop of sheet that would just be, like, rigidly in place, and you would pass out and just fall out of it. But obviously, Danye didn't fall out of it, which to us means that it would likely have to have been tied very tightly around Danye's neck from the outset, as the sheet itself would stretch as soon as weight was applied to it. This also seems to imply that it would have to have been tied behind Danye's head, meaning if he was doing it to himself, he would be tying this ligature blind. This is speculative, but it seems to reason that if he tied the loop for his neck in front of him, where he could see what he was doing, 
the loop would have to be loose enough to pass over his whole head. And if it didn't cinch, then when he put his weight into it, he would fall out of it, like Al suggested. Again, we're speculating here based on a couple of photographs, but this wouldn't have to be speculative if the sheet hadn't been untied and tossed into a body bag. Had it been cut away from the branch with scissors, it would have been easy to reaffix the cut ends and to observe the system, the way Christian Torres suggested. So not only was the possibility of independent DNA swabbing foiled, so was the possibility of an independent analysis of the configuration. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Here's what we have. A fitted and frayed bedsheet, likely either white or light gray, that Melissa says didn't come from her house, tied in a complex fashion that Derek says he recognizes from his military days, that doesn't look like it had a cinching portion, based on the photographs, that has two or more individuals' DNA on it, who are male, and only one of whom is Danye. Melissa wanted this sheet. She had been trying to get it back for months, but it was considered evidence until the case was closed. Right around the time the medical examiner's office had released their report on Danye's death, Melissa's lawyer called Detective Anderer. There is no audio of that call, but the email Melissa's attorney sent to her explaining what had been said read, I spoke with Detective Anderer via telephone. The bedsheet in reference to Danye's death is still in custody with their agency. Detective Anderer was told that the bedsheet would be needed for possible further examination and to preserve it. Detective Anderer was cooperative. Now the case was closed, but Melissa didn't hear anything about the sheet. So eventually, we called the St. Louis County Police Department to find out how she could get it back. Yeah, so I was just hoping to grab uh, an update if there is one as to whether or not that evidence can be released. Yes, uh, I spoke with those in the Division of Criminal Investigation, and the proper steps will be taken to release that to... uh, his mother. Now, it is very out of the ordinary for any members of the media to request evidence be released to them. Well, I'm not asking for it to be be released to me. I was just trying to find out what the steps were so she could do them. Okay. Well, then I would encourage her to come down to St. Louis County Police Headquarters 
she will go up to property control that is located on the second floor of our building. And I would encourage her to come during business hours, Monday through Friday, to do so. Okay, what does she need to have on her? Does she need just her ID? I believe just a state of Missouri ID or anything with a, a photo and a name of hers. All right. The property will be released to her. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, bye. Mayor Lida Krusen says the city of St. Louis has 723 positive cases of COVID-19 and the city and county account for two-thirds of the deaths in the state of Missouri. Over the course of this show, we haven't talked too much about Melissa's illnesses for her privacy, but we will say that she suffers from lupus. So she can't just up and run out the door any old time. Then COVID-19 happened. And with her strained immune system, again, Melissa had to remain sequestered during the spring. And then the world saw this. This body cam video and separately this security video show some of the last few minutes of George Floyd's life. Stopped on suspicion of passing counterfeit money, what seems a straightforward arrest somehow devolves into this. I can breathe. Please, anybody excruciating to watch it's floyd now on the ground begging for his life handcuffed gasping for air police officers knee on his neck while others do nothing they asked me to come out yesterday and and lead some of the actions and stuff that they're doing i, I let one of, one of them know like i'm not ready for that like you know i i cannot i i, I won't Not right now, I just won't. I'll speak out about it, but other than that, I'm not going out there with this virus out there. It's still heavy, especially with me having the lupus. What do you make of everything that's happening? Just kind of continuation of what started six years ago, or is this something? I think this is a reminder. I couldn't watch the video, but I saw the picture. That guy kneeling on George's neck he was posing like yeah he knew they were taking the picture he knew they were recording and it was like a pose like make sure y'all get this you know what i'm saying like this is what happens when you act up with us you know this is this is what happens this is what you get so yeah take the picture so he was trying to prove a point there i think that there's always going to be this group this this group that'll hate us you know they want to be able to continue to look down on a certain group to make themselves feel better it's sad but we have to continue to live we have to continue to fight for it um be better than them that's the only way that i can see we will prosper we'll make it through it we have to be better than them Despite her feelings on what happened to George Floyd, Melissa was still not ready to take to the streets again. She took the need to protect her health very seriously. It wasn't until mid-June when Melissa told us she was finally ready to go and collect the bedsheet from County PD. So, with her daughter Melicia and grandson Messiah by her side, on June 18th of 2020, we accompanied them as they went to retrieve what Melissa considered to be her son's murder weapon. I have to call up and ask because normally if you go on the property, you have a letter in your hand. No. So I got to call up and, uh, and check with them, make sure it's got cleared, okay? So give me a few minutes. Melissa is being told by an officer that she needs to have a letter stating that her evidence is cleared for pickup. Sergeant Granda never mentioned this, and Melissa says she never received any letter. Who'd you say to do? Detective who? Andrew. Andrew? Andrew. Andrew. This was cleared before coronavirus, and so she had to wait a long time, but it was cleared. Let me get you all to do me a favor. I'm going to ask you all to step out. He's got to go all the way across the hall to the detective's office and run it by him to make sure that what he's doing is okay. Due to concerns about coronavirus, we were asked to step outside. So we did, and we waited. Okay. Andrew's not upstairs. He's off today. 
So, do I call back on Monday? Because we're closed tomorrow. Yeah, the case so, is officially closed, and like they, and like right. Brenda without Anders, yeah. without Anders being here, they don't want to release it without his signature on there, saying that yeah, I'm giving them the right to take it. It's hard to hear, but Melissa then starts asking the officer if the sheet is still in the building. No, no, I'm not saying that, that, that the evidence is probably still, it's still up there, but this is the issue. He's not here to say, yeah, they can take it. That's the issue. So we left. Melissa was told to call Detective Anderer on Monday and see what was necessary to get the sheet. To get clarity on the issue, we called one of the superior officers at the Division of Criminal Investigation, Mike Busalaki. He didn't answer, so we left a message. Um, hi, my name is Raina Vyshelsky. I'm an associate of Melissa McKinney's, the mother of Danye Jones. Melissa had been told that she could come by anytime, Monday through Friday, during office hours, as long as she had her ID and could now collect that evidence. But when we showed up on Thursday, we were told she could only take it when um, Detective Anderer was there to sign off. I just wonder if he's signed off and she can now pick it up at any time or if she needs to schedule a time to be there when uh, Anderer is present to sign off in that moment. If you could offer some clarity of this, you know, mother, it's an emotional thing for her to, you know, ready herself to come collect this item and she needs family to join her for emotional support and so uh, I'm sure you can understand your sensitivity there uh, around uh, her having clarity so she doesn't come try this several times. Thank you very much. The next day, Sergeant John Wall from County PD called Melissa. He was listed in the police report on Danye's death as being Andrew's supervisor at the time of his investigation. Melissa recorded this call as she was heating up some food in her kitchen. So on the 21st, Detective Andrew released the property uh, filled out the form and gave it to the uh, property unit who uh, sent off the letter. That's just odd that I can get every other piece of mail except that one. So here, here lies the problem, and this is what I'm calling you. Of course. Is the letter states uh, if the property uh, isn't picked up within 30 days, uh, it's destroyed. <laughs> the only, we do have uh, a little bit of the sheet. So you know that uh, I'm sure Detective Ayer told you that the sheet was tested for DNA. Uh, and those uh, swabs, uh, we do have that. That's not what we needed. We needed the sheet that, that we said that we would get. And so now you guys destroyed a sheet because a letter that I did not receive you see how this sounds so crazy? Oh, yes, ma'am. Let me ask you something. Do you have children? Do I have children? Do you have children? If this happened to your child, wouldn't you want to get down to the bottom of this and find out what really happened? Because you know your, your, your child. Oh, of course. So when you, if, if you were to continue to hit wall, brick wall, brick wall, wouldn't you get a little bit like Larry, like trying to figure out why? So there's no sheet. Uh, unfortunately, ma'am, uh, Thank you. Piss the fuck off. <laughs> okay. Melissa's prediction that she would never get the sheet back had come true. She had always been skeptical that the county police were taking her son's death seriously. And now, Andrew's unprofessional conduct when on scene at her home the morning Danye died, combined with his social media posts, made the destruction of the bedsheet seem like a hostile act. With no sheet, there could be no new DNA swabs. The fact that the St. Louis County Police Department had preserved the swabs they had done previously was better than nothing. But if the entirety of the sheet had not been previously swabbed, now it never would be. 
there would be no way to examine the sheet for damage or to find out what brand it was and perhaps where it came from. A case that started with very little evidence now had even less. But there was still Danye's phone. That's next time on After the Uprising. After the Uprising is directed, produced, investigated, written, and reported by myself, Reyno Vyshelsky, and John Duffy. John Duffy was also the editor. Dave Cassidy was producer. Sound engineering, design, and mix by Josh Condon. Executive producers were Matt McDonough and Tina Xeros for Now This, Brett Kushner for Group 9 Media, and Jess Borave was executive in charge of production. Jonathan Hartwig and Bradley Rayford were consulting producers. Eliza Craig was assistant producer and did additional reporting. Mallory Kenoy was a writer's assistant. Kristen McVicker and Taya Wilson were production assistants. And Haley Klezmer was a post-production assistant. Fact-checking by Allison Humes. Theme song and other music by Zachary Walter. Legal by Keith Sklar and Peter Yazzie. Special thanks to Ann Frado, Danny Gonzalez, Barbara Koppel, Alex Lester, Bethann Macaluso, Emily Marinoff, Ruth Vaca, and the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. After the Uprising is a production of Double Asterisk, iHeartMedia, and Now This in association with True Stories. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. If you have useful information about the death of Donye Jones or anything we've covered, please leave a message on our tip line at 347-674-7401. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from undercover tourists. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from undercover tourists and authorized seller and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with undercover tourists now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.